Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1 again as we continue in our journey through this gospel. Slow, slow as it is, but today we're going to look at a, very, a fairly lengthy passage, verses 35 through 51. If you recall, the earthly ministry of Jesus is just starting, it's just beginning. Uh, he has uh, been identified by John the Baptist as, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has been identified as the one who is come from God. He has been down to the waters where John was baptizing. And now he, uh, he begins calling his disciples, those whom he will instruct and teach and, and literally pour his life into for the next three, three and a half years. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 35. Again, the next day, remember John has given us day-by-day day blow of this first week. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, What do you seek? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, or Simon Barjona, and you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he, that is Jesus, found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite, Indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's Word. The ministry of Jesus, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, uh, carries with it a lot of profound truth that if just read over as a narrative, could very easily be missed, uh, could very easily be uh, not seen, if you will. I want you to see a couple of things here, not really profound things necessarily, 
but a couple of things that I think are very important. First of all, I, I titled this sermon Family Evangelism because the first thing you see is you see uh, this one Andrew coming and seeing Christ, believing in Christ, and then immediately going to his brother, Simon, and saying, listen, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. He had something dramatic happen in his life, something significant happen in his life, and the most natural thing and the, most, and the, and the first thing he thought of was, I need to tell my brother this. I need to share this with my brother. There is that family relationship that takes place in the interaction with Andrew and, and Simon Peter that you and I need to see as a natural response to the gospel. When we come to Christ, there ought to be that natural desire to first and foremost tell those whom we are closest to what has happened in our life. Now, many times that's tough because many times those who know us best, whether they're our brothers or our sister or our closest friends, Many times, those are the ones who know us the best, not only in the relationship, but they know how we really are. They know what our, the skeletons are in our closet. They know all the things that, that we just as soon they not know. And so there comes to a point where we're worried, will there be a credibility? Will there be a, will there be a gap of credibility in my life and my relationship to them? When I say, look, I found the Messiah. Christ has done a work in my life. Will they look at me and say, oh, really? Now, evidently, that wasn't the case with Andrew and, and Peter because Peter listened to his brother and said, well, what are you talking about? Show me this one. And, and he went and followed. But I want you to see that there is a significance in this passage that we need to see and need to see very, very clearly. And that is that the, effectness, the key to the effective witness and many times the key to us really being able to transmit the gospel, share the gospel with other people, many times comes through simply through relationships. Relationships that we build with other people. Whether they're a physical, literal blood brother or cousin or aunt or uncle or father or mother is not the real issue. But the real issue is the easiest way to share the gospel is through a bridge that is made out of relationships. I remember when I was in seminary back in the dark ages, back in Fort Worth, Texas, I remember uh, uh, Oscar Thompson was my personal evangelism professor. And each, each student took a course in personal evangelism and took a course in church evangelism. I actually had Oscar for both of them. But this was in his personal evangelism course. Oscar, during the course of my time there, died and went to be with the Lord because of a very aggressive form of cancer. But I'll never forget that first or second day in class, Oscar walked to the blackboard and he said, let me ask you something. What do you see, what do you think is the most important word in the English language? And of course, we began to throw out very spiritual things, the gospel, Jesus, uh, you know, love, uh, all sorts of, throughout a multitude of words. And he wrote all of them on the blackboard. And he was writing that as fast as we could say it. And finally, he turned around the class. He said, you've all missed it. You've all failed this day's class. And we kind of looked stunned at him saying that. He didn't really give us a failing grade for the class, but he wanted us to understand something. He said the most important word, the most significant word, in the, and most important word in the English language is the word relationship. Now, 
we could debate that. As a matter of fact, we did debate that some in that class, whether or not that was the case. But through the years, I've come to really believe that Oscar was on to something there. Oscar understood something that is very significant there. And I think that Jesus and that John in this, uh, this gospel is wanting us to see. And that is the most natural direction, the most natural way for credible witness to take place and effective witness to take place is through relationships. Now, I know that most of our evangelistic training through the years has been to just kind of do what I call the hit-and-run form of evangelism. You know, you see somebody you don't know, you run up to them, you hit them real quick with the gospel, give them a track, and then run from them, you know, and you think, oh, whew, now let's just see what God does with that. And I know God has used that in many cases. Somebody came to my door yesterday, and uh, he knocked on the door, and uh, he, is, uh, he was out campaigning on something, an issue in our particular area and he knocked on my door and I went to the door and and his first question was well, let's get the important stuff have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and I went what well, yes as a matter of fact I have oh okay then would you vote for the yeah, and he went on and, and did this well I guess that was an, a witness but it was kind of, in, in my estimation, a rather hit-and-run witness. You know, he was going to hit me with, he did give me a track, and he gave me a, a campaign flyer, and then he left, and he was gone just as quickly as he had come. Now, I already knew the Lord, and so I was fine with that. If, if that's his idea of, of witnessing, that's okay. But, but I wondered after he left, I got to think about what would I have, what did some of my neighbors in my neighborhood who don't know the Lord what, what do you think their thought was on this first statement? Man, they've never met, probably. Man, they, they have no relationship with at all. And he comes up, knocks on the door for the purpose of campaigning on an issue, and, and his first words are just kind of slap you with the word Jesus and slap you the word uh, have you accepted and just kind of lay it out there and then quickly move on to the issue for which he opened the door. For which you opened the door. Well, I think God may use that. I mean, God has used some pretty unbelievable things uh, through the years. God used what I think is theological error to save me and lead me to understand the error of the theological error that brought me to Christ. It's weird how God can do things like that. But most of the time, most of the time, the gospel flows most effectively through relationships. And, and that's what you see here. John is speaking, and, and he has two of his disciples with him, and he says, look, there's Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, we've already talked about the significance of that phrase somewhat. When any Jewish mind heard the Lamb of God, they thought about all of those sacrifices. They thought about all that had been offered through the years at the temple for the atonement of sin. And when they heard someone identified as the Lamb of God, they didn't think he was a four-footed creature, but they knew that there was something significant uh, salvation-wise in this man's life. And those, those Jewish ears perked up. Some perked up to hear like these two disciples. Some perked up and wanted to pick up stones and throw at him for blasphemy. But in this particular case, John says to his two disciples, Behold the Lamb of God, and they go after him. They follow after him. I want you to see something here, though, first and foremost. The day before, down at the River Jordan, John said those exact same words. And how many people followed after Jesus when John gave that testimony? 
It's not a rhetorical question. None did uh, that we know of. There was no indication on the day before when he was down in the river and he said, listen, I, I've seen the heaven open up. I've seen this one. This is the one who baptizes with, with the Holy Spirit and with blood. And back in verse 29, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it, it gives no indication that anybody said, okay, I'm going to follow him. But on this day, on the second statement of testimony that there's the Lamb of God, two of John's disciples leave John and begin following after Christ. I think there's a significance there in the fact that, that we need to understand that every time we share a witness with somebody, even somebody we're close to, does not mean that there will be an automatic reception of it on the first time. And, and so I, I think it also means that we're not to give up that we are to continue to talk about who Christ is, what Christ has done, continue to share that through the avenue of relationships and, and through the avenue and John had a relationship with these two disciples and John began to point to that and say, that's the one I've been talking about. That's the one who must increase. That's the one who really brings the truth of God. That's the one who is the Son of God, God incarnate. It's not me. And through the relationship that had been built with his two disciples, they then began to see that Jesus was who John said he was and who Jesus himself said he was. There is a flow that goes through relationships. But it won't always be the first time. It won't always be the second time as it seems to have been here. But there will always be a response when the relationships are built. These two disciples follow after him. Now, there's, there's a little ambiguity here, and, and I'm not sure. I don't want to build too much on this out of silence. But, but there is some indication here that maybe one of those two disciples didn't continue on. Said two disciples from John followed him. One of them was Andrew. The other one is unnamed at that point, and you never hear anything else about the other one later on. Later he will call Philip, but but there's no indication that Philip was that other one. You understand? Uh, which obviously goes to show that there are many people who will follow sometimes but who may not continue in that because they never truly believe. But Andrew was not the case. Andrew did indeed believe. And as they're walking along, Jesus said, what are you looking for? He said, where are you staying? They went with him and, and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. Now, again, John doesn't go into detail about what took place that day. I don't know what Jesus taught them that day. No doubt they talked about his mission. No doubt they talked about why he came into the world. And, and for some reason, whatever took place that day, Andrew's heart was changed and burned, and, and the truth was burned in in such a way that after that, he got up and said, I've got to go find my brother. And he went and found his brother, Simon, verse 41 says, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. That's really what a testimony is. We, we sometimes get caught up in the idea that well, for us to have an effective testimony, we've got to go into all of our sin. We've got to have really lived a rough life, you know, and be able to show how you're saved out of that life. Let me tell you something. We've all been saved out of a rough life before Christ. May not have been occupied by drugs and, and drunkenness and, and carousing and all things, but all of us were saved out of a life of sin. And, and what our sin was and what we did in our sin is not the important matter. The important matter is who Christ is. 
have we seen him? Do we understand him? And really, that is the first criteria for an effective, credible witness is being able just to simply say who Jesus Christ is. Andrew says he's the Messiah. John the Baptist said he's the Lamb of God. And, and, and Nathaniel is going to hear from, from Philip in just a little bit. He's the one that the prophets and Moses and all of the Old Testament spoke of. He's the one we've been looking for for all these years. But if you're going to have a credible witness, you must first of all come to understand and know who Jesus is. Now, I know we live in the Bible Belt. Uh, we've heard the name Jesus all our lives. And we've, in many cases, in, in the Bible Belt, even in long-time church-going people, there's, there's not a clear understanding of who Jesus is. I talked with someone last week, not in our church, thank goodness, but I talked with someone last week who basically has been in, in a Baptist church all his life, and his comment was that, well, we must realize that Jesus was really a great teacher and miracle worker, and he is a way to God. But there, there, there may be other ways that other people, through sincerity, can find God. Well, if that's the case, then his death on the cross was an absolute waste. His death on the cross was, was, was an atrocity, not the greatest salvation event of all history. And, 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 but this person had been in church all their life, and they said, you know, but the, the truth is, we, we can't be so narrow-minded that we can't see that God can do what God wants to do any way God wants to do it, even outside of Christianity. And you know, that's exactly right. Except that God himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, if, if that's either true or that's false, that's either reality or that's, a, uh, that's just something that Jesus made up and, and, and doesn't really mean anything. But let me tell you this. If God says something is true and God points in that direction and says, this is the way it will be, God will not contradict what God has said. Okay? It's just that simple. If God has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he will not contradict that by saying, well, you know, but I'm going to be a little easier and, and I'll give you another way by your good deeds or, or, or by, you know, some other religious experience or whatever. He just doesn't do that. If God is anything, he's a God of truth. And God speaks the truth. The scripture says he's a God who cannot lie. And there's no lies in him. He is the fullness of truth. And so, so, so you've got to know who he is. You've got to know that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the anointed one of God who has come into the world for one purpose, and that is to die on the cross in order to take away sin for all who believe. I mean, it's, it's really quite simple, but it's amazing how in our in our intolerant, tolerant world, we, we hesitate to even say that. Jesus Christ is the only way. And so Andrew says, listen, we found the Messiah. We, we've found, we found the Christ. We have found the one who can do what all those lambs that had been offered in the temple only symbolize. And so he told him that, and he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and knew who he was, said, You're Simon, the son of John, Simon Barjona, and you will be called Cephas, Peter. Now, he doesn't go into all the rock and 
stone and all that stuff at this point. It just says, you'll be called Peter. There is that relationship that that relationship that had been built through two brothers who were fishermen together. And Andrew cared enough, not only, not only did he experience something in his own life, he cared enough about his brother that he wanted him to know the truth that he had discovered in Jesus Christ. That's what family evangelism is. And you can call it friendship evangelism. You can call it relationship evangelism. You can call it whatever you want to. Back to Oscar Thompson, my evangelism, he called it concentric circle evangelism. And, and he would go to the board almost once a week, and he would start with a circle, and he'd write a little circle and say, that's me. And then he'd draw another circle, and he'd say, this is my relatives, this is my family. Draw another circle and say, my coworkers. Draw another circle and say, my neighbors. And another circle and say, my friends. And then all the way out to finally outside the last circle was Mr. X. And he would say, you know, our problem is, is that we focus too much in our evangelism and too much in our missions on Mr. X. Somebody we don't know and somebody that is so far away concentric circle-wise from who we are and where we are that there's no relationship that can, can be a vehicle for sharing the gospel. And they don't hear us. They hear us like a man coming to the door knocking and just springing a question on us rather than somebody who cares enough to say, you know, I've, I've found the Messiah, or more appropriately, the Messiah has found me. And, and I want to tell you about that because I care about you, and I want you to know the joy and the truth that I've discovered in Christ. You see the, you see the importance of relationships in the whole concept of evangelism? And I mean, we don't ever witness to Mr. X. There are opportunities that arise, and there's even opportunities to build relationships with Mr. X to bring him a little closer into those concentric circles and be able to share the gospel with him. But just to start there, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like, you know, if you're not sharing the gospel here, you're not going to share it very effectively in Peru. You, you may go and do some good things, but if you're not sharing the gospel with those who you really know and care about, you're probably not going to share the gospel effectively with somebody else. Ron Dunn, another guy of that generation who used to be used to preach occasionally at our church when we were in seminary, and, and, and Ron Dunn used to talk about how, you know, we get all whipped up, helped up for mission trips and back then choir tours and everything else, and we all want to be a missionary. We all want to get on a bus and go somewhere and be a missionary. And, and his comment was it takes more than a bus ride to, to become a missionary. I guess in our day, it takes more than an airplane trip to become a missionary. It, it's something that has to happen in the relationships of life or it will not happen effectively out there with those we don't know. And Andrew knew he had found Christ. He knew that Christ had found him. He knew there was a new relationship. And so he went and got his brother and brought him. Well, the next day, Jesus decided to go into Galilee. We know some exciting things are going to happen when they get into Galilee, but, but he decides to go to Galilee. Purpose is to go to Galilee. And, and he saw Philip, and he said to Philip, Philip, follow me. Come and go with me. Come and follow me. And, and Philip, uh, who was from Bethsaida, where Andrew and Peter were from, same place, 
went and found Nathaniel. Now, it doesn't tell us Nathaniel was a brother. It doesn't tell us he was a cousin. It doesn't tell us anything, except there must have been some relationship there. And he said to him, listen, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found the one that Moses talked about thousands of years ago, and we found the one that the prophets all spoke about was yet to come. Isaiah prophesied, Jeremiah prophesied, Ezekiel prophesied. Uh, all the prophets pointed to this one. Everything in the law that Moses wrote was pointing to this one. And, and Philip, says, Philip says, listen, we found him. We know who he is. And his name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. He is the son of and probably more appropriately we would understand, the adopted son of Joseph. But the family identity was always found in the father back in, in that day. And Nathaniel heard this, and his first question was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth is a little place. It wasn't known for commerce. It wasn't known for political uh, uh, prowess. It wasn't known for anything that really is uh, that we like to, you know, give credit to being substantial and significant about. It's just a little old village out in, it, it's kind of out in the boonies. And how could anything good come out of, how could the Son of God, how could the Messiah, how could the one that the prophets and Moses talked about, how could they come out of Nazareth? Well, the prophet spoke fairly clearly about that but Philip didn't argue with him he didn't say well listen you're such a snob you know you're you're from the big town of Bethsaida and uh you go down into Jerusalem every now and then to eat out but but Nazareth doesn't have a whole lot you're just a snob he didn't say that he said I tell you what come with me come and see let me show you and as, as Nathaniel drew near, Jesus spoke to him with, a, with a, an omniscience, an all-knowledge that, that even, even surprised, I would imagine, Andrew and, and Peter and Philip and everybody else around. He said, you're an Israelite in which there's no deceit. That is, you're, a, you're an honest man. And Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And he said, oh, before Philip even called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You see, again, Philip was the instrument used to call Nathaniel. But it was, it was Jesus' purpose to call him all along. And Jesus had already seen him under the fig tree. Jesus already knew he was there. Jesus already knew that he was going to be brought to him, and he was preparing the way, and he just used Philip to do that. And Nathaniel's testimony was, Wow, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. You are this one that we have been looking for. And then Jesus said, oh, <laughs> you can believe on something that small? You're going to see a lot bigger things than that when you follow me. And indeed he did. He saw miracles that made that little miracle of knowing about Nathaniel look like absolutely nothing. And, and he said, you're going to see the heavens open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're going to see the power of God in unbelievable ways because you believe. You know, when you look at these two men, Andrew and Philip specifically, 
working through relationships, building those, building that witnessing direction with someone they know and have a relationship with. I think you have to come to realize that that in the basest way, in the most basic way, that's the most effective evangelism. And, and we ought to be building those relationships for the purpose of evangelism with our neighbors, with lost people. Most of us don't even, you know, we don't know any lost people. Or we don't think we do. We just go to church with our friends. We do things with our friends from church. We just there's no building of relationships. I'm I'm guilty of that. I mean, you know, it's a whole lot easier just to be with those who it's easy to be and to talk about Christ around, isn't it? It just, just makes it easier. But the key is, we've been given a message. We, we sang that hymn that said, we have a treasure that's been entrusted to us. We're just the earthen jars in which the treasure is found. But, but these men, Andrew and Philip, give us examples that I think we have to understand. And and I think we have to understand that there was some credibility in, in what they had to say. I, I think, first of all, if you're going to be a credible witness, you have to, as I said earlier, you have to know who he is and have come to a, a knowledge of him that is beyond just a head knowledge that says, oh, I know about Jesus. I can tell you all the miracles he did. I can tell you all the things he taught. That's not the significance. But I know him intimately. I know him like Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 4 when he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed even to his death. That, that internal knowledge, that, that real knowledge of knowing him and walking with him. You have to know that, that you yourself are a sinner and that it's his work that has made a difference in your life and, and, and know that You'll struggle against God's will in your own life, even as a believer. Sin will still fight to keep you away from being obedient to Him. You have to come to a point of really spending time with Christ in His Word. You know, a time of saying, Lord, teach me more about you that I may have something to share with those who are around me. So, so in that, you have to be grounded in the great truths of Scripture. You know, the, uh, it, it's almost embarrassing for some people to talk about, uh, you know, Christ's resurrection. I mean, we'll celebrate it in three weeks or so as we talk about Easter, but, but a lot of times we as Christians don't even spend enough time talking about it's, it's more than just Easter. It's resurrection day. Christ came out of the grave. Uh, our culture being the scientific and you know, rationalistic culture that is has a hard time believing that a man came back from the dead. But Paul said if, if he didn't rise from the dead, then we're wasting our time. You have to be grounded in the truths of Scripture, grounded in the Word of God. You have to be planted in the Word that you might bear fruit. Jesus says in, in John 15 that we'll look at later on in this book, you know, he said, you're, you're the branches, I'm the vine. And, and when you're grounded, rooted, planted in me, then you'll bear much fruit. You will live it out. You'll demonstrate it. You'll be able to witness. And if you want to, be, if, if you want to bear fruit, you have to be planted, grounded in the vine. You have to be willing to do hard work and, and take rejection. Again, sometimes we feel like when they reject Christ, they reject us. But Scripture makes it clear they're not rejecting us. 
And we don't quit just because they do. But it's hard work. It's difficult work. And finally, I think to have a credible witness, you have to, you have to let everything you do be characterized by love. Let love be your motivation. Love for Christ first. You know, when he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Then tend after my sheep. Never ask him if he loves sheep. He always said, do you love me? And if our love for Christ is what it should be, then we will, then we will seek to be obedient in just faithfully sharing the gospel when God opens those doors. When God makes that available to share his truth, to share his gospel, it's love for him that motivates us to go out and, and be faithful witnesses in our family, among our friends, wherever he takes us. You know, if you go back to that statement that we call the Great Commission, when Jesus said to his disciples as he was about to send into heaven, he said, Go therefore into all the world and, and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've uh, said unto you, and I'll be with you till the end of the earth. You know, we, we treat that like a command. It's not a command. D does that surprise you that the Great Commission is not a command? It's just a statement. And, and literally, it is, the, the go there literally is as you go as you go make disciples there's an assumption you're going to be going it doesn't mean going to the mission field or going specifically for that it means just wherever you go as you go as you go about your daily life I will open doors for you to teach and to instruct and to make disciples and to share the gospel and if you love me then you'll obey me if you love me, you'll do what I told you to do. If you love me, you'll let your relationships be an avenue, a bridge for sharing the gospel. Let's pray together. I give you this for consideration today. I give you this for evaluation. I give you this from, from John's gospel to say, Lord, where are relationships that I need to be faithfully cultivating the gospel? I don't give it to you to make you feel guilty. I don't give it to you to try to guilt you into doing something that you're not doing because I can't, nor do I want to. But I give it to you as a form of evaluation. Do I really love him? And if I, am, if I do love him, if he is my Savior, if he is my Lord, then dare I do anything less than what he's told me to do. Father, you speak to us, Lord, on these areas that by faith we may follow you. In obedience. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.